You're listening to a special COVID-19 report from Minnesota Native News. Decision-making and being a good relative with host Leah Lem and Dr. Anthony Stately. This program was made possible by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota and is a co-production of TPT Now and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Bonjour, hello, miigwech for joining us for a special COVID-19 report from Minnesota Native News, decision-making and being a good relative. I'm Leah Lem, citizen of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe, and I've been reporting on the pandemic for Minnesota Native News for the past 18 months. And I'm Anthony Stately, enrolled member of the Oneida Nation of Wisconsin and a descendant of the great Red Lake and White Earth Nations of Minnesota. I'm also the executive officer and president of the Native American Community Clinic in South Minneapolis, but my most important job is being dad. For many of us, we thought summer 2021 was the beginning of the end of the pandemic. Uh, Vaccines were readily available and we thought we were poised to defeat COVID-19. But not so fast as Delta surged and we learned more about the variant. It's more easily spread. It could be spread among vaccinated people, and it even seems that kids may be more vulnerable to it. So we've had to face the facts. The pandemic is not over. Instead, we are seeing the reinstatement of mask mandates in some places, especially tribes like Leech Lake, Fond du Lac, Mille Lacs. They're all requiring face coverings in tribal buildings. And we also see that COVID-19 is still a very real and present threat, especially in our schools and to our children under 12 years old who are still not eligible for vaccination. Although there is some good news on that front, Pfizer now says its vaccine tested safe and effective for kids 5 to 11 years old in clinical trials. Next, the FDA will review these findings and consider emergency approval. So vaccines for kids age 5 to 11 years old could be available at the end of October. Yeah, as early as September, one-third of our kids between the ages of 12 and 15 and almost half of all kids, 16 to 17, are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, but we have so much more work to do. And we still have to be on guard for outbreaks, especially in our schools. So we're still in a pandemic And we still have to remember our values and make good decisions and be a good relative to keep everybody healthy. Yeah, it's our fundamental responsibility as Indigenous people to care for one another. Absolutely. Today, we're going to be talking about caring for our communities during this pandemic and some of the ways that manifests in the real world through community voices that are brought to the program by KBFT's Chaz Wagner with the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa in northern Minnesota. He talks with some community members about back to school and their thoughts on the pandemic. We'll also hear from Anthony about the decision-making that went into the vaccine mandate at his clinic in Minneapolis. First, though, we're going to talk about mental health and how being conscious of your own mental health can help you make it through these uncertain times. Producer Chaz Wagner talked with Melissa Wright, who's a behavioral health supervisor at the Boys Fort Band, and they really bring a great conversation about the anxiety that's popped up in the pandemic 
and also destigmatizing the need for mental health care. So let's hear from Chaz Wagner and his conversation with Melissa Wright, and then we'll talk more after we hear from them. Sounds great. Bonjour, hello. I'm Chaz Wagner from KBFT Boys for Tribal Radio here in Net Lake, and I'm here with Melissa Wright, and she oversees the tribe's behavioral health department. So Melissa, can you introduce yourself and tell us about your work? I'm Melissa Wright, and I'm the behavioral health supervisor, so I oversee our behavioral health services here for the tribe. I've been employed with Boys Fort for almost 10 years, um, and I recently graduated with my master's in clinical social work, and I obtained my licensure as an LICSW, which is a licensed independent clinical social worker. Now that we are so many months into the pandemic, what are you seeing as the biggest needs that people and families are experiencing? For us in behavioral health, we just see a lot of a lot of stress and anxiety um, and some depression that's come out and just kind of supporting each other through that, especially when it was during the lockdowns and stuff like that, a lot of isolation, especially living up here, you know, where it's pretty remote and rural. And so just really kind of helping people manage their worry because there's a lot of worry associated with the pandemic. A lot of, there was a lot of unknowns. And so that kind of really has increased folks' anxiety and things like that. And so just wanting to, to kind of be there for folks and let them know they're not alone. Um, we are pretty resilient people. And so just helping people remind them of that to kind of use that to, as a coping mechanism to get through this difficult time. There's also a big effect of the change of your routines, the change of how we do things. You know, some people have a hard time adjusting to change. Um, and so with this pandemic, of course, we've seen different changes of, you know, the, the social distancing, the different requirements and things like that. And so sometimes it does take time for us to adjust to that. And there's that time where, you know, maybe we just need a little extra support or a little bit more empathy and compassion from other folks. Melissa has some great points of, you know, helping remind people of their resilience and adjusting to the change in routine through support and compassion. You know, we've talked about that before, but I really want to highlight just all the different choices that we have now. And again, speaks to how how uncertain of a world we are still in and will continue to be in for some time, just based off of the unknowns that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. For sure. I like the I like that she said, you know, we, we are resilient people and it made me think about like how, you know, as indigenous people, it's one of the things that we really are good at, which is, you know, we don't always have to have all of the answers. We don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or next week or next year. There's a certain amount of sort of like faith, I think, that we have in the knowing that, you know, the seasons are going to continue. The earth is going to, you know, renew herself. Mm-hmm. There's these things that we know that we can kind of count on. And I'll, maybe all I have to focus on is like right here, but sort of like right in front of me. And so that helps us to stand in that space of not knowing, I think, a little easier. And so sometimes it's about trying to remind people, like, you know, 
we're resilient people. We've had lots of these kinds of things. We've had we've actually faced pandemics, right? <laughs> and survived those things as indigenous people. So we do have a certain amount of knowing that helps us in that space and place and trying to remind each other of that and support one another and be loving and compassionate in that moment in time is a really helpful helpful thing i think to re- to recall and, and and to remind our our family members and our community members about that you've been listening to a special covid-19 report from minnesota native news decision making and being a good relative This program was made possible by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota and is a co-production of TPT, Now, and Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities. And today we are talking about the complexities of the pandemic and decision-making. It seems like the more we know, the more answers that we have, even more questions pop up in their place. So let's go back to producer Chaz Wagner talking with Melissa Wright, the behavioral health supervisor with the Boys Forward Band. And she talks about caring for her staff and making sure that they're ready to help their patients. So in your role in behavioral health, what are the things you're most concerned about now at this point in the pandemic? For me as a manager, it's it's always my staff. You know, we, we deal with a lot. You know, there's... Um, what we call compassion fatigue. And so just kind of, you know, doing our work, we have to be mindful that we're also taking care of ourselves, you know, to be able to to manage some of all that. It gets to be um, hard sometimes, you know, day in and day out, helping folks. And so that compassion fatigue is real and, and can kind of creep up on someone. And so as a manager, I'm always concerned that, you know, making sure my staff are taking care of themselves as well, um, because this is sometimes hard work. And so that's my first priority. And I'll, of course, just being able to make sure we have availability to be seen for others coming in to see us for therapy and so that we're able to get someone in quickly. Because sometimes with with our um, department, you know, some people just come in on crisis, you know, things just kind of happen and they want to be seen right now. And so we want to be able to accommodate that and, you know, provide the best care that we can because it's hard um, sometimes for folks to, to make that that call to us to come in um, just because there is still a, a big stigma around mental health and, and seeing a therapist. And and so just trying to reduce that stigma as well, um, that's super important. It's okay to come in to see us. You aren't crazy. This has been a, a, a really difficult year. And so just wanting to get that message out there that it's okay if you you need to come in for for a couple sessions. So, I mean, there's so much pressure placed on healthcare workers as it is. So how, you know, you have a leadership role at the Native American Community Clinic. What are you hearing? Do you hear some parallels and... Uh, with your position there, what Melissa's saying? For sure. I think that, you know, it's been a really challenging year for um, healthcare workers, right? We've seen people kind of like, you know, burning out, Mm -hmm. as they call it, you know, leaving the field, you know. That's had impact on large health systems and really small health systems like NACs. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you work in a community like NACs providers do, we work in a community where there's so much um, 
unmet need. And then you layer on top of that, you know, the kinds of things that we had to deal with this last year in, in, um, in, in our community with the pandemic and then sort of some of the civil unrest, all of, all of that sort of like emotional and baggage that you sort of have to kind of wade through like a quagmire can really weigh you down emotionally and spiritually. Right. And, and, and then, and then they have to show up every day and, and, give a piece of yourself as well when you feel like you have so little to give can be really challenging because that's what you do when you provide care to patients. You're giving something of yourself in that space and place and that transaction, that interaction. Mm-hmm. And and it can be really challenging. You know, I really want to make sure that we are able to talk about the vaccine requirement that you also have at mm-hmm. Native American Community Clinic. It was put into effect in early August. Yep. And can you tell me a little bit about requiring the health workers to get the vaccine and kind of that decision-making process behind it? Yeah. You know, it was not an easy decision to arrive at. Mm-hmm. You know, when I made the decision, I, I consulted lots of folks. So, you know, I talked with other leaders in the clinic. I talked with my board of directors. Um, who are comprised of many of these people are, are community members as well. Um, and then I, um, I talked with some elders, you know, I also prayed on it. I had just before that, like two weeks before kind of arriving at this decision, I was at Sundance and, um, I had some moments, um, during that period of time when I was in that ceremony where I thought about, you know, the challenge before us as a, uh, as a community and as, as a nation of people and how we have been impacted so significantly by the pandemic. We, you know, look at some data for both Minnesota, but also across the United States, where like some of the highest rates of infection, some of the highest rates of hospitalization, the highest rates of, um, of death by COVID. And I just, um, you know, I was kind of watching the national conversation with some of the other larger health systems. And I just thought, you know, you know, the, the moment felt right to make this kind of decision because, um, the Delta variant had sort of kind of made this huge surge. We're seeing rates increase significantly over the last few weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that was particularly challenging for me and some of the conversations I had with elders and people in the community um, and our own leadership was the the vulnerability in our community that we had with so many of our young people under the age of 18 who weren't yet vaccinated. If they were 12 and above and they had the ability to get vaccinated, they hadn't had it yet. And then also um, just the fact that we have so many young people who in our community who don't even have the ability to take the vaccine, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, they're under the age of 12. And I just thought the data hasn't looked his- good historically. And this particular surge is, makes us very vulnerable. And I just was not willing to risk an outbreak in the clinic or an outbreak in the community. And I thought, we as a community, as a community clinic, a clinic that serves one of the most um, vulnerable communities in South Minneapolis, we we have to we have to make a decision here, right? And I relied on I think what I've been sort of taught through 
example by other indigenous leaders that I've sort of seen, you know, I'm, I'm talking about my elders and people, you know, who I watched while I grew up, they made decisions about what they were going to do based on what was in front of them, you know, the crisis at the time, the moment at the time. They made decisions about, um, you know, their actions and what was going to be best for the greater good, right? Mm-hmm. Not themselves individually, but the greater good, uh, our community broadly. And I thought, this is a moment in time where it requires me to make a similar decision. You know, NAC's value, our mission is to be a good relative to everyone, right? The principle of being a good relative is is paying attention to our responsibility to protect our young ones and all of the future generations. You know that that principle of the of the seventh generation is a really important principle. Like here I am, I'm standing in the center, and I'm looking three generations back, and I'm looking three generations forward, and I'm the embodiment of the seventh generation. And it's my responsibility to ensure that we have the best outcomes for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And the only way to do that at this moment in time for me and many of the people I talked about was to make this decision. Mm-hmm. And it, it, was a, it was not an easy decision to make. It was a really difficult one to make. I knew that we'd have some cost to pay for that. Mm-hmm. I knew that some people would leave and I knew that some people would not be happy and 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 I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know it's it, it's really comes down to values and priorities, understanding that we're all connected, all related and we got to look out for each other cuz that's how we get through all this. You are listening to a special COVID-19 report from Minnesota Native News, Decision-Making and Being a Good Relative. This program was made possible by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota and is a co-production of TPT Now and Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities. I'm Anthony Stately. And I'm Leah Lem. So switching gears, we are going to hear from producer Chaz Wagner and the community voices he's bringing to us as they talk about the current school year and the pandemic. Hello, this is Darren Landgren. I'm a Boys Fort band member and I live here in Net Lake, Minnesota. Bonjour, my name is Terry Defoe and I am 49 years old. I currently work for Boys Fort Health and Human Services as the Vermilion Community Health Nurse. Bonjour, Bimba to Mishdim Dijnakas, Mishigaming Dunjaba. Hello, my name is Bimbartu Mishdim, or Nicholas Shah in English. I am originally from Michigan. These days I live in St. Paul. I am Boyce Fort, Net Lake, Ojibwe. As we get closer to back to school time, what are some of the things you're thinking about concerning the safety and well-being of your family and community? Well, with back to school time, there's the a chance of spreading the coronavirus, so little concerned about that. We've got the vaccine, but the children don't. I am worried about those kids aged 1 to 11. Some schools have stated that they will return with no masks. COVID is spread when you are closer than 6 feet and longer than 15 minutes in a 24-hour period. 
This means that if these ages do not wear masks, it will be more likely that they would spread it faster and to more children in the school setting. I'm definitely thinking as a teacher and as a parent and just trying to be a responsible member of uh, my community. And I think that masks will probably still be the best course of action. We're probably still going to see a lot of the uh, same things we saw last year as far as trying to maintain social distance in schools, trying to make sure there's not a lot of inter-class interaction. And I think if we do that, it will go a long way towards being able to get back to a place where we don't have to worry about those things anymore. We can move past masks. If we do that, I think we could get through this that much faster. So what I'm hearing there is a lot about masks again. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. And I, and I know that folks were really anxious uh, about having to do that. I, I, have, I have friends who have said to me, one of them recently said like, well, what the hell did we get vaccinated for if we have to go back to wearing masks? And I was like, um, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about like, what are the benefits of getting vaccinated <laughs> and, and, and why that's important? So it's like, right. you know, I, and I know that there's probably a lot of people that are struggling with that. But I think we probably are not in a place where we're not going to have to return to masks when we have large groups of people like in the school setting have to go back into small indoor um, environments. So let's get back to those community voices. And this time we'll hear a bit more about their young ones' points of view, what, what they're hearing from their own young ones. My children are ages 28, 20, and 18. I have two grandchildren and they are both two years old. I will have two in college. One will be doing all online courses and the other will need to attend in person. The college-bound kids want to complete their coursework and look forward to starting classes. And at this time are not worried about COVID. One has been vaccinated and the other one has not. Two out of my three kids have had COVID. I work in an elementary school. And so think about my students and the families I work with a lot. I think kids are excited to get back to school. Um, we're seeing kids being tired of things that you normally see kids want to do all the time, like video games and watching TV. I hear a lot of parents who have children a little bit older than mine talk about how their kids don't want to be inside. They don't want to be on the screens. They want to be with their friends because you know we had so long where the screens were all they had. They're excited to see their friends because not all their friends go to um, the Boys and Girls Club. So they're excited, but... It's not really on their radar. They're just having fun summertime. So my heart just swells, and I get—I'm so heartened to hear how kids just want to go to school and be together and yeah. connect and interact. And that interaction and community is so important. To hear that kids would prefer that over playing video games. Is yeah, so lovely to right? see. That is, <laughs> yeah. It's like music to my ears, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that certainly has been the situation with my sons. After they got vaccinated, um, I felt more confident about them having like their friends over and doing things with groups. Um, we went on vacation last week and we're in the middle of the woods and they were without their devices or even the ability to connect because we were up in Lake Superior, up in Superior National Forest, rather. And they for five days I saw different kids that I kids that I hadn't seen in over the last year year and a half and I was like okay yeah mm, absolutely Anthony the great outdoors can be such a great way to 
get an education and to connect and to be entertained even. So that's really great. Moving on, um, we're going to go back to the Boys Fort community members, those voices shared by producer Chaz Wagner. So let's hear some more from them. I encourage everyone to get the vaccine. I know the technology behind the vaccine is a little new, but it's been applied in other medical fields. Despite what you read on the internet, you know, it's, it's pretty safe. So go out and get the vaccine. It is especially important for anyone with underlying health conditions like diabetes, heart disease, or elderly. I believe in this vaccine so strongly that I got vaccinated as soon as I was able and I encouraged everyone in my family to get it. I have seen what COVID-19 can do to people and I want to protect those in my community as best I can from this virus and the complications, including death, that it can cause. I will leave you with this one thought. Do you know anyone with polio? My uncle, who is an elder, said one of his friends died from polio as a kid, and he can remember the heartbreak it caused his family and stated that, quote, I want to prevent this disease from hurting my family, so I'm getting the vaccine as soon as I can, and I want all my kids and grandkids to get it as well. And there is no more polio because of vaccinations. Those are some wise words. We have to be cautious, you know, as I've been saying, aware of especially our elders and our knowledge keepers, you know, and speaking of Boys Ford specifically, we don't have very many speakers left, very few. And we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure we learn from them and that we keep them healthy and we are doing what we can to provide them with what they need. This is our opportunity now to grow, to go forward, to overcome this latest challenge so that Anishinaabe will always be here. Anishinaabe ways, knowledge, language, culture, history, sovereignty, everything that makes us who we are, go on forever. Miigwech keep us in Dawyeg. What I'm hearing is this overwhelming understanding that there is a challenge that we're in the middle of but also the faith and understanding that we have the tools, strength, and fortitude and community care to get through it. Well, that's what I'm hearing too. Reminds me of the story of the buffalo in the storm that my mom tells me sometimes that she has told me. It's like, you know, what do buffalo do when there's a big, huge storm on the prairie coming towards them? They don't turn and run in the other direction or freeze and hunker down or try to go around the storm. They sort of kind of grab everybody. They kind of collectively get together and they just drive right into the heart of the storm, knowing that there's no way to avoid it. And also knowing that, you know, on the other side of that storm is peace and fortitude and, you know, abundance and all kinds of other really great rewards for the hard work that it takes to sort of confront difficult times, right? Adversity. We are an amazingly strong and resilient and um, innovative group of individuals, Native people. We've been doing it since mm-hmm. the beginning of time. And we got this. I know we got yes. this. Yes, we got this school year too. You've been listening to a special COVID-19 report from Minnesota Native News, decision-making, and being a good relative. 
Thank you to contributors Chaz Wagner of KBFT and the Boys Fort community members, and also Melissa Wright, social worker and behavioral health supervisor at Boys Fort Band. This program was made possible by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota and is a co-production of TPT Now and Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities. I'm Anthony Stately. And I'm Leah Lem. Thanks for joining us. Keep walking, man.